Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the and it is a nightmare because it's me, not Ron, introducing the show. Um, at this point, Ron would normally be saying, ah, he's just logged into chat, so he's playing catch-up rapidly. But at this point, Ron would be saying, uh, welcome to Ghost Chronicles International, with him, New England's very own Van Helsing, and me, the lovely and ever-entertaining uh, ghost hunter from the land of the Red Dragon. But I've just done it for him because... We're having a few connection problems. And uh, without listening to me waffle, I'm trying to see if he's actually come on while I'm talking. No doubt he'll interrupt me. But we might as well go straight into the guest so I don't have to talk to myself endlessly whilst awaiting Ron's appearance on the show uh, due to technical problems, which I think are related to severe electrical storms in Texas, snowstorms in Massachusetts, and hurricane-force winds in Pembrokeshire. So the weather gods are against us. So I've enlisted a former co-host on Ghost Chronicles International, uh, formerly just a parapsychologist, now a professor of parapsychology, uh, a warm, and a warm welcome back to Dr. Cal Cooper. When did that happen? I've, I've, I've just promoted you. I've just Thank promoted you. That's, that, that is very kind of you, Reverend Parsons. Thank oh, you very you're much. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, Dr. Cooper, nearly. So when will you be Dr. Cooper? Let's get that out of the way first. Uh, uh, I am endlessly writing up the thesis now in between teaching and marking, so I'm hoping to have the thesis draft in full by about May. And then, as you know, from there, it's mock Viva and then the actual Viva. So but sometime later this year, I'm hoping to have the Viva done. Later. I hope so. But didn't you earlier or late last year post a picture in which there appeared to be a bound copy? Of, of my thesis? Mm. Uh, no, in my office, I have about 15 bound PhDs and none appeared with the title of my PhD on. Ah, uh, do you know what? I must have dreamt that. I'm sure I saw it, though. Uh, anyway, so what is the title of your thesis, then? Uh, it certainly wasn't the title that appeared in view of the picture that I think you're thinking about. So the title of my thesis is uh, Spontaneous Post-Death Experiences and the Role of Hope, an Examination of Bereavement and Recovery. So briefly, without going into 3,000 pages and 90,000 words, what's that about? <laughs> Um, well, um, in the 1970s, there was a kind of a, a bit of a turn of heads, really, in um, mainstream medicine and bereavement care, uh, where they hadn't really paid attention to the findings of psychical research and, and parapsychology before when it came to bereavement. Um, and it was because a, a medical doctor from North Wales called Dewi Rees, um, he completed a medical doctorate thesis and published a paper in the British Medical Journal about hallucinations of widowhood. And um, he basically showed that these experiences are very common, from sensing the presence of the dead to seeing their apparition, hearing them, smelling them, feeling their touch. And um, then started to take this further, really. He'd had conversations with 
various parapsychologists and opened up and said in many cases he really couldn't put his finger on how these things were occurring. He believed that in some instances they were beyond a hallucination. Um, and then this kind of inspired several other doctorates beyond that. The next person was uh, Dr. Julian Burton, who was based in California. And uh, he basically went around different universities to look at incidents of bereavement and how often people reported these experiences. So out of all these doctorates, they said these experiences are very natural. Uh, they're certainly highly, very, uh, highly therapeutic for the people that have them. And they were reporting different emotional outcomes that people specifically expressed from interviews. And one of the things that came up quite a lot was the emotion of hope. Um, so given the fact that I've been involved in positive psychology for a long while, um, teaching it and so forth, one of my supervisors said, when you want to come back to Northampton to do a parapsychology PhD, if you want to bring motivation and emotion into it, um, one of the things I'd urge you to do is look at the emotion of hope. He didn't give me any pointers or anything like that. He just said, see if you can find a link between hope and parapsychology. And with these experiences, um, there seemed to be a presence. So what the other studies hadn't done, they just casually mentioned that people mentioned, this experience gave me hope. Well, hope of what? So it, it seemed that they were suggesting that it's giving them hope of a future life. For one, it's created a continued bond with the dead. And this idea that after I die, consciousness might survive. So the different thing we were doing in this thesis was trying to see if on a quantitative level can we actually measure that presence in people that suffer a bereavement and have these experiences against people that suffer bereavement and never have a paranormal experience and there does seem to be a measurable difference and then we've taken interviews a lot further looking at the experience the emotions attached cool uh, the uh, the idea of people returning post-death to say goodbye to their relatives their loved ones um and even in cases that i, I you know i i've uh, spoken first-hand to, to first-person witnesses, neighbours. Um, it is a remarkably common occurrence, or it seems to be a remarkably common occurrence, this appearance of an apparition or hallucination post-death to a close relative or friend. Is that the case with your findings? Um, yeah. Um, we basically targeted different people so we could have an equal number. So in the study, there's 50 people who didn't have these experiences and 50 people who did. And with the 50 who did, um, for half of them, it was a one-off instance. Uh, but even so, very prominent, it, it really changed their views. And then um, with the other half, they'd had repeated experiences that ranged from not only sensing the presence of the dead, um, but also having poltergeist-type activity around the home. A lot were also telephone call instances as well, funnily enough. Uh, dream interaction with the dead, in which the dead gave them specific messages to then follow up when they, they woke up as well. They've all been highly common reports. In all the studies I've looked at, no less than 50% of people approached said that they'd had these kinds of experiences. So it's shocking that before the 1970s, medical science and also bereavement care and so forth, they really weren't interested in these experiences. They just considered it some form of psychosis. Sigmund Freud had passed them off as that and said, just ignore them. It's a common hallucinatory side effect of grief. Just ignore them. It's not really a good explanation, and no one had ever really bothered to look into, well, why is someone having this? And just because you are in a state of bereavement, is that a good reason to then encounter poltergeist activity or see apparitions of the dead? And in some of these instances, there are multiple witnesses as well. So we can't... Sorry. 
the way Skype works sometimes. Did you also consider those who go to mediums and seek advice and, and counselling from mediums? Um, it, because there is certainly um, some uh, suggestion that they gain a great deal of hope um, you know, following the death or, uh, of a loved one by, by consulting a medium or a psychic. No, this wasn't part of my studies because um, a colleague of mine in the department, Rachel Evenden, she has solely looked at this. Her background is in counselling psychology. She's registered in that, and so is um, Elizabeth Roxburgh, two other parapsychologists in the department. And so they've been working through the counselling department um, at the University of Northampton to counsel people for distressing anomalous experiences of any kind, and within that um, visiting mediums has also come up where people have sought out mediumship as an alternative to um, bereavement counselling and, and gained many therapeutic benefits. But you're absolutely right, the therapeutic benefits seem to be um, just the same as the spontaneous ones, but at the moment we don't have a measure in terms of, well, is looking for a paranormal experience such as the mediumship better than when someone sat at home, they might be a sceptic, they might be a believer, and then all of a sudden the apparition that this diseased person appears in the corner. Is there a difference between wanting it and not wanting it, and yet it happens anyway? We haven't really looked at that. There aren't any comparison studies, but I've solely focused on what does it do to those individuals that aren't asking for it? It just happens. They're in the right place at the right time. Well, speaking of paranormal occurrences, uh, the main host of the show, um, Mr. Van H, is back with us and has been for some Ooh. time listening quietly in the background. So... Uh, um, much, uh, much missed and often maligned. Good evening, Ron. Hey, Cal. That's uh, it's really an interesting study that you are doing. Um, I, I'm not sure if I caught all of it, but uh, basically, let me get this: you are studying the people who have lost loved ones, whether they have paranormal experiences above the norm or not. Is that the, the gist of it? Yeah, two groups. I mean, one is a group of people who have lost someone close, um, had a very significant bereavement they were happy to recall but never had an experience. And then the other group of people are those that had a loss and then encountered something. For some, it was just a one-off event. For others, they have multiple events. And was there, uh, as far as the number of occurrences, um, was one higher than the other? Have you determined so far? Uh, no, as I just mentioned to Steve, with that group that did have experiences, it was 50-50. You know, 50% had a one-off experience, the other 50% had multiple experiences. What we were finding within this, because uh, it was an equal focus on um, bereavement and thanatology, it was parapsychology, it was positive psychology all combined. And we did find that in terms of levels of hope, and people, let me define hope, hope is a form of goal attainment and looking ahead and how how much an individual is capable of achieving on their own um, esteem and how much um, evidence there is for themselves that they can achieve their goals and it can be measured on a number of levels and within this we're suggesting that the experience is suggesting to them immortality and a continuation so there's no need to grieve as much as the other group where they've got to find something to facilitate that gap of loss the experience seeing an apparition feeling that person around suggests that they're still there but they've just transitioned into something else, so they incorporate this spiritual continued bond with the dead. So the group that didn't have experiences compared to the group that did, before they'd even lost anyone, they appeared to be, those that didn't have an experience, lower in levels of hope than the people that were going to have an experience. 
And then after they'd had the experience and after they'd suffered loss, it appears there was a massive drop in hope for those people that didn't have an experience, really statistically significant. And for those people that did have an experience, only a tiny drop in levels of hope overall, suggesting that that experience appears to be natural, it was serving a purpose to keep that person positive and motivated and moving forward, um, regardless of whether it has paranormal origins or not. Um, I mean, that's something that I've got to look into later down the line, go back to all the cases and how many of these cases were suggesting that perhaps the dead came forward and offered a message that could yeah, be verified. You know, Cal, that's one thing I've always uh, used in a lot of presentations and stuff, that the number one mm -hmm. sighting of uh, ghosts has been from someone who has just passed, uh, you know, yeah. whether it's in, in uh, I've, I've called them messenger ghosts. In other words, uh, my theory is that they either just are there to let you know they're okay or, or just uh, to see that you're okay or, you know, the, that to have that reassurance or hope, as you said. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, I, I, I've always used that, and, and I, I forget where I got that statistic, but it was a long time ago, but most, uh, most at that time was people who had recently uh, deceased. Well, classically How? in psychical well, research, I'm... they're referred to as um, crisis apparitions. Um, Tyrrell mentioned these quite a lot in his book, Apparitions, Camille Flammarion as well in um, the trilogy, Death and Its Mystery. And even go all the way back to the book Phantasms of the Living and also the SPR's Senses of Hallucinations. And you can see that there's a high amount of experiences that do appear to center around the point of death. And when you look at um, Phantasms of the Living, they took all the cases from this that involved apparitions of the dead. And Edmund Gurney and Frederick Myers decided to run an analysis on them to look at the time periods. And they found that a week before someone died, so we could assume they're, they're in their deathbed, there was a gradual increase in experiences. At the point that person died, there was a massive peak in experiences in, in the deathbed scene, people seeing apparitions, something moving past them, hearing things. And it is one of the many reasons we might keep to that tradition of um, leaving a window open in the room of the dying, in care homes and so forth. And then over the following year, during that bereavement phase, they found that there were, there were still experiences being reported, but a steady decline. And again, I, I found that with my sample in this study, you know, well over 100 years later, that the vast majority um, of all my participants experienced these things within the first year. I think I only had three participants out of the 50, with one of them experiencing stuff two years afterwards, one of them 30 years afterwards, and one of them 32 years afterwards. Oh, wow. You know, and that would suggest that bereavement has certainly been and gone, and that experience was truly spontaneous, and we can't blame bereavement for it. So now, you're absolutely you said, right, Ron, they're very common. You said earlier uh, something very interesting, in that your statistics seem to suggest that those who had uh, hope prior to the experience, so prior to the, death, the, the event of death, yeah. were more likely to have some sort of uh, post-death uh, anomalous experience take place versus a group who had reduced hope. Is that, was that actually... Was, was no, I that correct? No, that's was not I, correct. Right? I, it, well, well, I'm just, you, I'm just checking that I heard it correct. No, you're correct to an extent. An extent, it was a finding after the fact because we took right. measurements of both at the same point, okay. and it turned out after we calculated the statistics that yeah. you know one group was lower beforehand anyway than the other, 
and yet one group never had experiences and they were lower than the group that did so, have experiences so, who were higher. Su- so is that suggesting then that if you are hopeful of an experience, then you are more likely to have an experience? Is that what the figures are? Is that what the stats are showing? You could also interpret it as people that are more capable of looking ahead in life, better at attaining goals and setting things in their their sights, things they want to achieve, are more likely to be open to these experiences and have them than people that say, I can't do it, I can't do that, I need help, um, I need assistance doing things, um, I can't do things on my own, I'll never win this, I'll never win that. Those kinds of attitudes, mm-hmm. um, you know, a very negative kind of attitude might close people down to be open to having such experiences. How did that compare then to, because I know that you will have made, uh, assessed the uh, paranormal beliefs as well, did people who were more likely to uh, have strong paranormal belief were they more likely to, ha- to have some post-death uh, experience? I'm, by post-death, I don't obviously mean their own. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, there was no... Um, this was the surprising and unfortunate thing. Just purely on levels, there was no statistical differences between the two groups with, in terms of paranormal belief, but certainly there were higher levels of paranormal belief in the group that did and higher levels of afterlife belief in the group that did than the group that didn't death yeah, anxiety I mean, I, you, you could almost you could almost and talking just paranormal i mean you have to throw religion in there as well because yeah that was in as well yeah yeah uh, and again oh. religiosity there was no significant difference between the two groups so it didn't matter what their religious beliefs were if they were going to have an experience they were going to have it the only okay, thing that so, seemed to show higher levels was paranormal belief and afterlife belief with the group that did. And again, so these are findings after the fact. We've not sought out people that have specific beliefs. They just fell into the category of they had an experience or they haven't. So how, if we were to sort of put this into one sentence, yeah. because this is quite a common phenomenon, this immediate post-death or short-term post-mortem phenomena of the, you know, classically the crisis apparition, the dead a parent, the dead sibling, the dead neighbour coming back and saying, oh, it's all right, I made it to the other side, all's well, I've come to say goodbye, and then they disappear. Yeah. Um, who or, I mean, how common is it, and who is it most likely to happen to, you know, in a couple of sentences? Well, one of the uh, most common findings, as Michael Thalborn always found when he was... Uh, um, kind of developing its belief scales. It's certainly more prominent in, in women to have these experiences than men. Um, you know, it sounds like a stereotype, but those are the consistent findings. That's um, excellent for International Women's Day. That's very, yeah. uh, <laughs> appropriate. Those are very appropriate. Yeah. Those are the consistent findings. Women seem to be higher in belief of the afterlife and higher in belief of the paranormal than men generally. Um, but aside from that, though, Steve, it seems that you could be anyone. It doesn't matter if you're a skeptic, a believer of the paranormal, or an absolute cynic. If you're in the right place at the right time, some of the people within my study were absolute cynics, always poo-pooed anyone that discussed anything like this, and yet it completely changed their worldviews when they had an experience. And I've got participants from your average Joe to all the way through to doctors, uh, psychiatric nurses, psychologists who'd had these experiences. Uh, and yet, you know, we used to have psychical researchers um, such as Walter Franklin Prince who put out books saying that, you know, we can take the, the eyewitness accounts of doctors and lawyers more seriously than 
than others if they ever become witness to these. But it just shows that everybody is prone to having these experiences. It doesn't matter on your beliefs or educational background, anyone. As we come towards the ad break, um, I, want to th- I, I want to explore this a little further because I know you want to change the subject uh, post-break. Um, is this when you were looking at the nature of the experience? So the the returning, uh, the revenant, the the apparition, the hallucination, whatever whatever term you you wish to apply. How many of those would you classify? What what percentage of them would you would you put into the group of veridical? where they supplied information that really ought not to have been known uh, by, the, by the recipient, by the person, you know, uh, who was having the experience. You're getting onto the, the grounds of something that I really want to dig into more, but for the purpose of this PhD, I, I've had to focus literally. It's, it's a parapsychological phenomenon. Dig, dig. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I've had to start and stop there because our findings are based on what are the benefits of bereavement of having these experiences. So after this postdoctoral, I'll, I'll dig. But I can okay. tell you a few accounts that sprung to mind that I just thought, wow, that's incredible. So one of my participants who is a, a nurse... Um, and has been for, um, I think, over 30 years or so. Um, she had various post-death experiences um, following the loss of her husband. And then at the wake, uh, she wasn't anywhere near this instance that occurred. But if you imagine people around having drinks, sandwiches and so forth, there were several big, large round tables with tablecloths on and drinks. And I think the one of the brother-in-laws of the family was sat with his wife and there were several other people ran. Apparently there were nine witnesses to this event. He took his pint glass, um, half full pint glass, puts it in the middle of the table, bear in mind it's got tablecloth on it, carried on talking, and then to his surprise saw the pint slide along the tablecloth, come away from the table and hover three foot away from the table and then drop and land upright without breaking, without falling over. And nine people saw this and were absolutely shocked at oh, what they'd cool. seen. And this was following all the bereavement events, um, anomalous events that uh, the widow had uh, reported as well. So when she heard about this and was kind of brought over during the wake, she was absolutely shocked. But it further confirmed for her, made it more concrete, the other experiences she'd had. Mm-hmm. I, you see, now, I, I, what you well, just described is certainly, you know, extremely unusual and and highly bizarre um, mm-hmm. and, but how do we then make that into a link to the bere- to the to the deceased because you're absolutely right i mean this is the whole know, size, size how you know was was he known for floating you know for holding <laughs> his pipe and placing his on the floor upright you know was that one of his traits so it's totally. not veridi- well, it's not veridical is it in terms of veridical information i need to go back to all these dream accounts all the ones where the apparition came forward and gave a message that could specifically yeah. be attributed i'm pushing to you because i you and i both know that i know that we know that there are veridical cases that that yes i've often gone unexplored because parapsychology is is a bit nervous of doing this sort of thing so mm-hmm. uh, are these are these instances all in the in the the waking state or are there are uh, dream instances as well there are many dream instances, and I wanted to include them because past psychical research studies had done so as well. You don't necessarily will a particular dream to happen. Um, you know, every night you have all kinds of bizarre dreams, and many people do dream about interaction with the dead, certainly around the time of the loss, but many years afterwards as well. And it's within that kind of virtual reality state, if you will, that um, people have extended conversations with the dead, and they might deliver particular messages, which in the waking state they can follow up. So so a case that Steve might also be alluding to here is the, the Chaffin and Chaffin case, or Chaffin, well, no, it's more so 
their names are pronounced Chaffin and Chaffin most of the time. <laughs> well, I've always um, called but, it that. Yeah, well, I've heard of some people calling it Chaffin and Chaffin. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, uh, you me. Yeah, you want to avoid chafing at all costs. Yeah, yeah, avoid chafing. Uh, but in that case, um, it, it was a to cut it down, Ron. It was the whole case, and you probably heard of it. Five brothers. One of them wakes up after a dream that his father has come to him and said, "Go to my old jacket. It's sewn into the lining as a second will, which leaves everything equally to all the brothers." Because one of the five brothers who was ill, oh, yeah. he had all of his father's estate left to him. And throughout an extended sort of follow-up investigation, they, they found out from their mother that one of the other brothers had the jacket in a loft who was 30 miles away. The jacket was covered in dust in a bee's nest when they found it, took it down. There was a note. It wasn't a will. The note said, go to my daddy's old Bible, look in Genesis. They oh, went cool. to their father's Bible, looked in Genesis. There was a second will, and it was signed by him and left everything to all the brothers equally. This was two or three years after the loss of their father. Unbelievable. And of course, you know, in the United States, we have the uh, Greenbrier uh, ghost, which uh, is is uh, the only one where a ghost uh, testified to uh, uh, who killed the and uh, was the was act the gentleman was actually uh, convicted for the murder. And she uh, came to the mother in a dream. I'm sorry. Uh, the Greenbrier is not the only case where a ghost testified in a court of law against its murderer. There's you should second... listen to the whole sentence before you. I was going to say. Well, I was going to say <laughs> there is a se- say in, in the U.S. Uh, maybe you were. Uh, in the U.S. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say fine, there is a 17th-century precedent in yeah, British yeah, law. Yeah. As we go, yeah, as we go to the ad break. Oh, I we're not. Yeah, to... Oh no, no, we're not close to we the are. ad break. Yet. We are. Keep your pants on. Okay. Uh, oh, I see you back now, are you? Throwing your weight around. Uh, anyways. <laughs> we were having uh, a really nice conversation until you muscled in. You were in. doing very good until you butted all over my story. Anyways, no, I have one more story. I, I was really Cal, saying it was all sort of Cal, and, and, uh, I know one case that I had uh, where a woman uh, actually had her mother come back after she died. And, 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 and the, when they were living, they used to go to the racetrack all the time. And uh, she, the mother would actually show the racing farm in a dream with the winning horses for the next day and this occurred for a period of about seven days and every day that she would pick the winning horses but because the woman had that wonderful catholic guilt she would never bet on them and said finally the uh the mother gave up on it evidently and uh, she never had that dream again so there are that's why i asked you about the dream state there are somewhere recently to see people have come back and and give uh you know pertinent information to the living just an interesting fact about the, those dreams to add on, which seems to be becoming a more and more popular finding and, and something Steve and I might discuss more after the break with paracoustics, is that in the majority of these bereavement dreams that I found, and, um, and it's supporting the findings of a, a previous study on bereavement, looking at the content of dreams of the bereaved, which, again, I was really shocked at, the majority of the interaction with the dead in in dreams seems to report telephone conversations with the dead and not face-to-face interaction even though you're in this again i keep on describing it as a virtual reality but you are you're in this altered state and uh, your mind if we're assuming that the mind is the only thing responsible for dreams um is putting this interaction together so why telephone conversations and interaction interesting um, but well there's the break is coming up so we uh we have to stop it there. Maybe we can discuss a little bit of that, but I know you guys want to get the paracoustics. So uh, anyways, we do have to take a break right now. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, parapsychologist, a uh, rock parapsychologist, Cal Cooper. And uh, what's his name? Uh, the other one. Yeah, the other one. 
Steve Parsons, and of course, myself, Ron Kolick. We'll be right back, right here on, by the way, on Tochinet, Planet Paranormal, uh, Pararex, and wherever else we'll be in play. We'll be right back in the morning. It's just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be. With remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased, we'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tolkienet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics, like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. from the New England Ghost Project. And I'm Gail Lax from Winslow Studio Yoga and Healing. And we'd like to invite you to a very special event that we're running March 18th through the 20th. At the historic Daniel Inn in Brunswick, Maine. This is a weekend retreat, Gail, right? It is. It's going to be fantastic. And it's going to be all about ghost hunting. And connecting with spirit. Ooh, that sounds fun. And we're going to try new things that have never been done before. And we'll be investigating one of the most historic houses in Brunswick. And your weekend will include some great workshops and energy, all of our paranormal investigations, some wonderful food, and a group mediumship reading as well. And a red light seance too, right? Yes. And you never know who will come through in a red light seance. You never know. And uh, if people were interested in getting tickets for this, how could they do that, Gail? Oh, they can go to our website at www.winsoulstudio.com and go to our events page, and you can put your deposit down. And reserve your space for this amazing retreat. So don't delay on this rare opportunity to spend a weekend with Gail and me as we go in search Search of of spirit. spirit. So there you go. uh, A weekend retreat with Ron and Gail. And something, I think, yeah, it's something to be. Good food. I can't wait. 
See, you see, the reason I want—I didn't go straight back to the guest is traditionally you interrupt me if I go back to the guest too soon. So I thought I'd give you the opportunity to interrupt me before I go back to the guest because I know that actually paracoustics is on the agenda for tonight's show. But Cal was uh, indicated before we came on air that he wanted to discuss something that's much more topical and highly relevant to our American uh, listeners uh, because it it. it based around a case that's been very current uh, in North America and in Fox News of late, uh, the Linda House, Linden House in Seattle, the famous Seattle poltergeist case, which a couple of weeks ago was visited by two British investigators. Um, and, in fact, one of the investigators is currently back in the U.S. off the back of the Fox uh, uh, interest uh, and is is I, th- I believe touring somewhere around the um, Houston Atlanta uh, yeah. deep south area yeah um, and trading as or, or selling his expertise as a parapsychologist uh, and aware of tweed, tweed suits uh, the other uh. is an El- the other is an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Cal, you have a particular thing about people, uh, be they Elvis impersonator or wearer of tweed suits, um, and qualifications and acting out of role. I would. You wanted to raise. Yeah, I would usually rant about this, as you as you know, and you know sometimes you'll joke around with me on it, and sometimes you'll you'll join in and kind of support the side. Um, But I, I didn't. I didn't really have any awareness for this case. You guys certainly are more aware of what Fox News reported on about this case as well. I merely became aware of it a few weeks ago because I was flooded. Uh, well, I say flooded half a dozen, but still. All within, <laughs> all within the same day of emails saying, who is this character? What is their background? What are their qualifications? I've well, never heard we, of them. Before we, before we go on to that, uh, can we just, I mean, there might be one or two people, particularly in the UK, who don't know about the Linden, uh, the Seattle Poltergeist, which has sure. been around for a number of years. Um, if you just go onto YouTube and look it up. But essentially, this case, um, the, the, the homeowner had reported many paranormal uh, phenomena within his property, including the burning of a Bible, objects moving. And many people have been along to the house uh, or have looked at the footage on YouTube, including Zach and the team from Ghost Adventures, who I think almost uniquely for them declared that the place wasn't haunted. Mm. Um, So these two British investigators, Don Phillips, who is very well known in the UK for uh, his activities and his appearances on uh, daytime television and his uh, unique uh, investigating style, uh, along with um, another investigator and uh, who's been around for a lot, a lot of years, Steve Mara, went over to Seattle and they investigated it, the, the location. They spent three or four days there. Um, and I wasn't surprised, I'm pretty sure you weren't surprised either, Cal, when they discovered it was demonic and it was one of the oh, most no. terrifying buildings that they'd ever encountered. Oh, uh, so, Cal... Tell us about these these people, um, Steve Mara, Don Phillips, or or as I call them, the Chuckle Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> well, added to it, another one in the equation, I was starting to call them the Three Stooges, but we'll leave the third one out for a minute. Um, yeah, because he wrote yeah. a nice review of, uh, of Paracoustics quite recently. Ah, <laughs> okay, <then. laughs> 
Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the main thing of the emails was uh, I'd heard that Lloyd Auerbach had even been involved in the investigations and so had his colleagues. And as far as most people were concerned in the States, this whole thing had been put to bed. So when I got these emails, I thought, I thought OK, let's have a look at what exactly they've been up to. And so I was I wasn't surprised, as you said, as to their conclusions. And you could kind of see what was potentially going on behind the scenes with the fact that the homeowner wasn't happy with the conclusions of previous investigators and was very much happy with the fact that um, Phillips and Mira were saying that this place was haunted and, you know, um, so on and so forth. Um, the thing that then started to really grind me down was that the emails that I got were of concerns of who is this person, never heard of them before, they're calling themselves a parapsychologist, and they're going on the news as well and, and happily referring to themselves as a parapsychologist and declaring these findings that were very outrageous um, with some highly questionable methods. And, oh, yeah, and so they were very highly questionable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, theories of the worst popular tripe and so forth. And um, I, I just thought this is terrible because, you know, for, for parapsychology, as much as it's trying to get its foot firmly in the door and stay in the door, and trying to show how credible the research is that we're doing, how thorough it is against the other sciences as well. If people like this suddenly get exposed in the media as, uh, and presenting themselves as being the experts and saying, I'm a psychologist or I'm a parapsychologist or even I'm a physicist, and they don't have the actual background or qualifications. They come from Mickey Mouse colleges, paper mill online sites and so forth, it's really, really damaging. For one, it really annoys those that have spent, you know, the many years studying, Steve, myself, and many others that have, not necessarily for the title, but because you genuinely want to understand what's the history behind this, what's the current research in it, how do I go about researching it in the proper way, and you want to take the time to become skilled and knowledgeable in particular disciplines to then carry out good and rigorous um, studies. So for people to suddenly end up on the TV, stepping on the toes of others, conducting an investigation that's already been done and put to bed, declaring themselves to be an authority, knowing that they've, they've got that title and they're holding on to that title purely based on a, a course that they might have completed within a week or just a few months. It's really infuriating. And I think the thing that annoys me the most is the fact that this instantly gets to many, many members of the public who then assume that these people are legit or um, other people that think, oh, is this what parapsychology is doing? No wonder everyone says it's a load of nonsense. And it just gives out such a bad, bad message. And uh, this is something that I thought you guys would have discussed over the past few weeks, but I was just shocked when one day I got these emails and I thought, what the hell is going on in the States? And so I was, I was really surprised at what they were up to. Half surprised and half not surprised, really. In fairness, we have actually mentioned it um, kind of in passing on the show because, you know, it, I, I, I keep getting constantly warned by the host of the show not to start ranting uh, these days. Um, so I have to I have to rein myself in because, yeah, you see, but uh, occasionally, occasionally they, they have they have come up in conversation as yes, a sort of lending but, case. But, Cal, I, I, I've got to interrupt Steve again because, you know, he's just talking about himself. <laughs> uh, but anyways, 
Cal, I have a, a question for you from uh, the Paravex chat room, and uh, they, they said that we had a very interesting guest, and uh, so I figured this would be a good time for you to give out your uh, contact information, so if somebody wanted to find out more about you or, or see what you were up to, how could they do that? Um, well, if they want to email me directly, it's callum.cooper at northampton.ac.uk, um, or you can find me on Facebook, or even on my Twitter, uh, Twitter link at, at Twitter. Callum E. Cooper. You have, tw you have Twitter? Uh, yes, I Twitter. have Twitter. Yes, I have Twitter. Oh my God. Yeah. And I've is, been there a, is, is there a website, Cal? Yeah, Not currently, no. One being done up at the moment. Okay, very cool. All right, thank you. Can you set one up? Cal at Twitter.com. <laughs> yeah, I like Twitter. I like Twitter. Twitter. How do you get a degree in Twinting? I'd like one of those. Well, I, I think, I mean, just returning back to what Cal said, one of the things I think that was very, very clear is that they played, uh, or at least in the case of the parapsychologist, uh, there has been an image change now, you know, over the years, people dress, you know, they like to dress up to the role, but... Um, the use of tweeds and dicky bows <laughs> um, is is playing very much to the archetypal American view of the British eccentric investigator. Um, I have you know perhaps that had something to do with it, or perhaps um, you know. But there has definitely been a sort of playing to role. Uh, I think within within. Um, the sense of dress and style. Um, as for the other one, well, you know, Don Phillips has has been on British television, daytime television, a number of times. He's struggled against academic parapsychology and against just about every ghost hunter in the country uh, for his very, very questionable um, claims that are made. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, like it or not, he has made some very extraordinary claims. He he has he has uh, encapsulated a new terminology here: the AVP, the actual voice phenomena. And uh, for those that, that that might want to go look him up, what his methods are essentially is he relies on a spirit guide, which he calls Becky, um, and he has an, an excellent rapport with Becky. Becky provides him with a great deal of information in the form of an electronic uh, voice that he uses that he uh, picks up via a recorder. So he he's not like a clairaudient medium; he actually uh, uses these audio recorders. Um, although his sensitivity has been developing in recent years to the point where one of his most recent videos, uh, along with um, uh, Steve Mara, uh, Steve Mara was holding a pair of dousing rods whilst Don was doing a demonstration of extraordinary psychokinetic abilities mm. by making these dousing rods either swing apart or swing together, um, whilst held by, by Steve Mara, who assured everybody, of course, that he wasn't moving his hands. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, it's a trick I was doing 20 years ago. You know, you can, you, you can make the end of a dousing rod when it's dangled through a ballpoint pen. Um, you can make it spin in any direction you choose. Maybe we could connect Becky with Sam. That would be a nice use. Well, there have been a lot of questions asked about the about the techniques of Don, um, and he's been you know, he's been mentioned on the channel before. Uh, he's he's been a very contentious figure here in the United Kingdom. He's made a, mm. a lot of claims about his own particular abilities, and he's also been uh, highly con. Uh, con uh, critical of academic parapsychology and about the, the, the fact that mainstream 
researchers are, refuse to take him seriously. And I think over the last two years, he has promised several times to, that he would be able to produce evidence that would confound his critics forever and wow. silence silence us all. But yet we're all still here. Um, yeah, um, he says that. He says that uh, we're not actually doing any research whatsoever to look into this, and so the the project that they've got going on at the moment is kind of like the first of its kind in in decades. So it's just bizarre. He doesn't really have an interest in looking into anything we've ever done. You know, go to a conference, pick up a book, check out any of the websites of the SPR and so forth. Well, but we've we we have. It, I mean, both Cal and I have have offered him on numerous occasions yes, to yeah. to work with him and to help him put together his research into the form of you know a journal article or yeah. something that would. And on you know we've both met with uh, fairly hostile responses. Um, I got deleted long ago. <laughs> that was pure, that was purely yeah. by offering I, to do a ghost investigation with yeah, Steve with yeah. him, and I, I just uh, yeah. I was deleted I got, off the earth for that. I I got deleted also for suggesting that you know uh, his 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 work was. Uh, of interest and that he should really stop putting it on YouTube and telling us all how crap we are and just you know, <laughs> go, go and present it in the conventional manner uh, so that everybody could criticise it and critique it. Uh, and I got deleted for that. You know, I think, Cal, maybe maybe or perhaps the three of us, um, you know, tweed suit and Elvis impersonator and, you know, we could take on the world. We just mm -hmm. need to get Fox News on board with this. What, what shall I do? Shall I be Elvis or the tweed? Oh, I think I should do the tweet. I've got the I've got the whiskers now. So okay, uh, I'll uh, get the hairspray and do up the quiff. Yeah, well, you've got the bike. You've got the bike. Uh, well, he ain't got a bike, but I've certainly got a leather waistcoat kicking around. So I'll go grab that. What happened to the motor? <laughs> what happened to the hog? Oh no, no, I've got, I've got a bike. He hasn't got. Well, there a bike. you go. No, well, right. I mean, there are a lot from from my perspective as a as a psychical investigator. You know, somebody who does go to haunted locations. I've watched his videos because he may be doing extraordinary things, and I'm not going to be stupid and say, you know, just because he you know, he's making these claims, I'm going to be dismissive of them. You know, yeah, I, sure. I've certainly given him, and I know Cal has every opportunity, and I've watched his videos and I've I've looked at his claims and. You know what? I don't find anything that extraordinary. And in fact, no. looking at the recent stuff from the Linden House and looking at some of the other videos that have been presented uh, down the years, I can see very many occasions where there are clear lack of control where you know, other possibilities could be presented and are not being challenged. And we're not being challenged by the apparent parapsychologist and sceptic of the, the twosome. Mm. You, you know, in this particular instance, they've built up such a reputation that the, the SPR are kind of fully aware of them. I mean, if you look on the Facebook page, they're, they're always aware whenever these two are in the media. But Mirrors had quite a, a long association, or at least it's had an interest in turn up to some of the lectures, of the SSPR, so the Scottish SPR. And he's, with all these projects, put Don Phillips in their direction. So I know that some of the members of the SSPR are actually going to see whatever it is Don is doing, so they'll get to see for themselves whether they think these methods are, are credible or not. So it'll be interesting to actually hear what they think, because they don't really know him. They, haven't, they don't really maintain as much contact with the S, 
SPR as many people would think, the SSPR and the SPR. So I really don't think the SSPR are fully aware of what these two are up to or have been up to. But in all fairness, to take a side with Don, which I would rarely do, when it came to the Fox News stuff and I got those emails and I went to look at what it was people were concerned about, I didn't have really any real gripes with Don because it was typical of him, it was what I'd seen before, it was the kind of normal media presentation. He wasn't claiming to be anything. He went down as paranormal investigator or researcher. Uh -huh. It was more so Mira I was getting emails about because of, is he a psychologist? Is he a parapsychologist? Is he saying he's a parapsychologist? What's his background? Last time I was up in Glasgow and I did a talk for the SSPR, I actually had a couple of people there and then talk, uh, talk to me about Mira and ask about him and said, uh, Cal, what university is he based at? And I said, he isn't. You know, I've heard about him before. I think the last time I'd ever really heard about him it, appearing in the media and so forth, I had a chat with Steve about him as well and said, you know, who is this guy? I've never really heard of him, seen him at conferences. I've never read anything that is published. I don't know him. I believe his qualifications are in electrical engineering and latterly, I think he has a BSc in psychology. Um, well, I, I read his bio, and it was pre-degree psychology, so that could be A-levels. You know, yeah, um, it's, his it's bio not, is online for everyone to read. Yeah, it's um, not actually clear. I have pre-degree psychology. That doesn't make me anything. I have no, pre-medical no, tests sometimes, but, you know. He's got several bios online, so anyone's more than welcome yeah. to go and read it. He's put it there, um, and on Amazon as well. And then he's openly said that he's done the diploma through the College of Management Science, which supports the Institute of Forensic Parapsychology, which you can get within a week and so forth. It's supervised by Dr. Kenneth Wood. And, you know, again, it's, it's a .co.uk, and, you know, if you want to look for fraudulent sites in the, the USA, you look for .coms or .orgs that they have to be recognized by a local education authority to be approved of the course that they're delivering and have some form of accreditation. So in the UK, it's easy to spot um, the more legit courses because they'll be .ac.uk, and in the USA, it's .edu. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, when you do a bit of reading into a course you want to do, you take something up, do raise concerns when you think, oh, I'll do this online degree, it'll only take me a month to complete it, or I'll become a doctor, it only takes <laughs> six months and write 6,000 words. You know, you Damn. really have to look into this. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. You that's know, you've my, gone wrong, no, that's my you've gone wrong that's my, yeah. all these years. Actually, that's my route to fame and fortune gone. Maybe I'll just resort to buying tweed. <laughs> but there is, I mean, this is quite endemic, though, within, within, within sort of ghost hunting, this, this idea of elevating your status, um, you know, creating the role of... The, 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 I'm correct, aren't I, that there is actually nothing stopping Steve Mera or Ron or myself or anybody listening to this, this, this show or podcast to call themselves a parapsychologist because the term itself has been around for eons and actually is, is a sort of just a generic term that, you know, people who study the bizarre or the unusual. Mm. Or even a psychologist, if you want to call yourself that. You could do it. There's nothing stopping you legally. Different types of psychologists, yes. Or if you said you were chartered, that would also be illegal. But just psychologists, that is fine. Nothing can stop you doing that. I've been certified by a few. Sad, but... sad, sad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and people will get misled by this, and this is the dangerous thing. There is nothing accrediting... Well, there kind of is and there kind of isn't. I mean, for one, 
the Parapsychological Association have tried to go down this route of showing, look, here's a list of people who have clearly got higher degrees, they spent a lot of time researching it, and they do have an online list of um, associate members and then full professional members of the Parapsychological Association. So these are not only recognized people for being involved in the studies, um, but they've got high degrees as well, and then they've been approved to be on that list by committee as well, who are people who have been in parapsychology for a long time. But again, that it still doesn't stop people being able to be called it. it just know, it's just so that we within the, within the field are aware of the people that are on the list, really, and where they are and what they're doing. Beyond that, the, the general public have no idea about that. Most people don't even know that you can just call yourself a psychologist if you want to. But if you call yourself a clinical psychologist or a sports psychologist or an occupational psychologist, you're not qualified to do so, it's illegal. Same goes for doctor. You can call yourself a doctor if you like, but if you're offering a trade, a book with your name on it that says doctor after it and it's got a specialist area in it, or anything else that has doctor to it and you're offering a paid service in relation to your expertise, it's illegal or a case of fraud if you don't actually have those qualifications. Well, we're coming towards the end of the show, and you know, obviously, we wanted to touch upon joint enterprises. Um, one of which, of course, being paracoustics, hey. which I've just seen the the, the the most recent sales figures for, and uh, read some new reviews for, and it's actually doing all right. Mm. Um, although, I, 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 the most recent review is in the, the the Journal of the Society for Psychical Research, where somehow yeah. they got the author's details uh, asked about face. I made first editor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pleased. I've gone up in the world. So, um, what what what's come of paracoustics? Um, and and you know, has it has it impacted on anything you've been doing in the last year? You know, I, this for this year. As um, first it, editor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as first editor, um, going up in the world. Um, this um, current term's uh, third year module on parapsychology. It, it was the first opportunity I had to actually talk about paracoustics. So, um, and I know Steve wants to make it a topic of the show, parapsychologists teaching about ghost hunting and so forth. Yeah. But um, th this is one of the main reasons why we put paracoustics together. Um, so that it wasn't necessary for parapsychologists who weren't familiar with measuring EMF or what infrasound is about and how to measure that and so forth to pretend that they know and attempt to preach it. This book is meant to be a step-by-step -step guide and an anthology from the various experts in the various fields. So yes, um, with the two classes there are on hauntings and apparitions, more so from the parapsychological perspective, there's the early psychical research stance and then how Gertrude Schmeidler who was a, a research parapsychologist in New York City, she was trying to look at haunting investigations and quantify them as well by having floor plans done out. Um, and then this leads through into um, Steve's research with Infrasound, which I delivered just a few slides on, but this was a great opportunity because we have copies of paracoustics in the library at the University of Northampton. More universities within the UK that teach parapsychology are taking it on. I know Northumbria University of Newcastle, they have a second year parapsychology module. Their students are reading paracoustics and have taken it on as well. And from what I heard, they've become very keen in wanting to go out and do field investigations. So hopefully they are reading through paracoustics and indeed ghostology as well. So I was going to say, ghostology see... is actually the perfect book because yeah. paracoustics oh, is highly... Oh, well, paracoustics was the natural progressor of... Uh, yeah. Sorry, ghostology was the natural progressor because paracoustics was 
um, highly specialised in that he looks at one very particular type of phenomena that's reported in conjunction with paranormal experiences and that being of sound. Not just the sound of knocks and raps and moaning ghosts and EVPs, but the sound that... Moaning hosts. And moaning hosts. Uh, but sound has been, you know, an element of paranormal experience, probably the most common element of many paranormal, of most paranormal experiences for... I, there's, I like there's a sound there of a pizza bell. Uh, but ghostology was was the one that followed it, that expanded um, into all of the areas, the ethics, the the, the rest of the equipment. Um, so, pat but there is... Back. No, it's not a pat on the back, because I'm now leading what? to the sequel to ghostology, which is Cal, we are working or considering book three now, aren't we? The... Uh, the mm-hmm. Did we decide on the colour? Uh, blue cover, was it we were going to work on next time? Well, it might no, be blue. blue. We've done yellow and green. Red. So, well, Ron's going to remind me that the bell's gone, which I'd already said. So, Ron, what are you up to in the next month apart from retreating away from civilization? Drinking a lot. <laughs> well, Anything apart bad. from the norm. There you go. So, no, that's that's fine. And, Cal, it was actually a pleasure to hear your voice again. And uh, it's always good you to run with you. And, uh, you know, always good information from you, which is awesome. If we, always just, a from you. if we could just, you know, calm this other fella down, it would be okay. <laughs> You're at each other's throats tonight. Has it been like this every week? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we need a psychologist, really, to calm us down. Maybe we should go seek therapy. A counsellor. Therapy. Mm. Bereavement counsellor, if you keep going. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no one to argue with then, except yeah. the one they visit you within yeah, 24 hours. Yeah, we'd phone you. Yeah. So anyways, we want to we we uh, uh, announce that, of course, there's a new show in the UK right now by uh, some other fellow. What's his name? Wyman? Phil Wyman has got Phil his paranormal car- podcast in, in, yeah, in direct conjunction and direct opposition to ours. Eight oh, months. that's a shame. So, uh, sorry, Phil, if you're listening, um, I'm sure we're both podcasts, so if you're not listening to, if you're listening to us, listen to Phil's show after, and if you're listening to Phil's show, then hopefully you're listening to us on the podcast afterwards. Yeah, we're uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah we'd love to have you back again, by the way, sometime, if you have the tunes are on now, so we got to say goodbye to you. Anything else you want to add? Uh, no, that's about it, really. I mean, I know I've got more trips to the USA coming up at some point, but at present I have no idea of the dates because they're not all set in stone. But the main thing I'm having to do at the moment is battle on with the PhD and get it done. So I'm in hiding at the moment. Well, get on um, with it then. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to. You too. Get on with yours. Finish it. It's been going yeah. on for the past 20 years. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, if you come in the area, let me know and I'll buy you a pint. Oh, that sounds good to me. And I'll make you a cup of tea if you come over here. <laughs> yeah, you can get your shirt back as well. Uh, oh, <laughs> I still have them. Thank you very okay. much. So Been anyways, wearing them or sniffing them. Thanks for listening, me. everyone. And uh, good night. God bless. Good night. God bless. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night, deliver us good Lord.